Hey, good morning. Uh, just a few moments ago, when you guys saw the announcements, I guarantee there was an announcement you went, huh? Uh, it probably said Vision Arizona Golf Tournament on it, and you thought, oh, you know, what is that? Uh, you and I are a part of a group of churches that helps other churches get started. Churches like us all over the valley. And uh, when you're getting ready to start a church uh, from scratch, there's just certain costs that are involved. You've got to buy toys for the nursery, and you've got to buy sound systems, and sometimes chairs and signs and all that stuff. It costs about sixty to $70,000 just to buy the stuff of getting a church started. And, and what your church, Cornerstone, has been a part of for years now is helping other churches like this get started all over uh, Arizona. And uh, you guys would probably recognize some of the names. Rock Point uh, out in Power Ranch, we helped start that church. Uh, Life Quest over in Ahwatukee and Sun Valley over in Gilbert and Superstition Springs over in uh, Gilbert. Praxis up on the ASU campus. Those are all churches that we've been able to be a part of uh, helping uh, to get going and get started so that you and I know that there's other places telling the same story. And um, Vision Arizona is the group of churches that gets together, Vision Arizona, to start churches in Arizona. And one of the things we do to raise some funds, to give that initial seed money to a pastor who's courageous enough to say, I'll start from scratch, I'll do this thing, is we do a golf tournament every year. This year, it's November the 13th, uh, we're running out Club West, uh, we're going to have exclusive use, it's just going to be us, which means we get to hoot and holler and throw our clubs at each other and just do all the things you can't normally do on a golf course. But the really, really cool part about it is, is that while we're having a blast, we're going to raise money and help start other churches like this one. So if you are a golfer, can I encourage you to take Monday, uh, November 13th off? We're going to golf 54 holes that day, three times around the whole course. Uh, uh, would you come be part of that? And part of how you're going to raise funds is you're going to go to your aunt and your uncle and people who think they like you. And uh, you're going to say, them, look, would you give me like 10 cents a hole? Would you give me a dollar a hole? And they're going to pledge you for the hole. And then we're going to raise a whole bunch of money to start other churches like this one. Would you, it's a great chance to have a blast and then do something that's absolutely eternal at the same time. Would you consider November 13th, just come be part of that if you golf at all? Some of us in here go, I, I wouldn't golf. I, I wouldn't do that to myself. Uh, but uh, you could support a golfer. So here's the deal. When service is over, if you're interested in golfing, if you'll go out to the info booth out there, pick up a packet. They've got a whole bunch of packets. They look like this. Say, look, I'd like a little more about doing that. Uh, some of you who don't golf can go out there and say, look, I'm, just, I'm not going to golf, but I'm going to write a check. I'm going to help get a church started. I'll support a golfer and do that. Would you consider doing that today? We're in the middle of a series called RPM, Right Potential Mate. And we said last week, we need this. We need to be talking about this together because you and I live in a culture. You and I live in a generation that is absolutely failing at marriage. You guys have all heard the stats. And, and what ought to just scare us to death is that we know that over half the marriages will fail in the United States. Over half. And if I came to you today and said, look, 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 this whole side of the auditorium, half of this auditorium is going to leave here and have a horrific, horrible car accident, huge major bills, wounds that will last a lifetime. Some of you wouldn't even go out and get in your car. And yet the reality is that's how we're doing marriage. 
And if everything holds true, and here's the thing that scares just as much, church statistics, the amount of marriages that are failing in church, guess what? We are only like one or two percentage points behind everybody else. We're doing it just as bad. And, and, and what if I told you today that God says, hey, look, I've got, I've got some information you need to know. I've got some stuff. I've got some principles that if you would apply them, I can almost guarantee, almost guarantee that you won't be one of the fatalities, that you won't be one of the car wrecks. I don't know about you, but I'd listen. I'd listen. And last week as we started this out, we said, look, this applies even to people who've already gotten married. Don't check out on us. I think people who've gotten married may need this series more than single people. Let me tell you two reasons. Number one is you and I who are married are raising the next generation. And I've got a feeling if things don't turn pretty quick, our kids are going to be growing up in an even darker world. A world that struggles with this issue even more than we do. And how are you going to prepare your children to understand what they need to do to navigate this moment? Or you're going to be the grandparents of a bunch of broken family grandchildren. So what do I do to prepare my children for this moment? Secondly is this. Some of us that are sitting here who are already married are going to go, look, I blew through some of God's stop signs. I did. I either didn't know it at the time or I knew it and I didn't care. And I just blew right through this. And I I, I have. I've gotten myself somewhere that I probably never should have been. This series is going to help in two Number one is we're going to figure out what those stop signs were. We're going to figure out those moments that we didn't do that well. But then secondly, how do you heal? What do I do now that I made it through the stop sign? So guys, all of us need what we're about to talk about. Last week, uh, we talked about this idea of merging. See, this that was a great week for us because we were scared to death that God had somebody picked out for us. And that somebody that he had picked out was a real goober. (laughs) And so we thought, look, 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 of all the places that I'm going to get a God involved in my life, it's not my dating life. I mean, no, no, no. And what we discovered last week was this. God doesn't have someone picked out. He's got a type of someone. And then what God says is, look, look, look. I'm totally interested in you getting the type of person that thrills your heart, who you want, who excites you, who you would just be thrilled to be. I'm totally into that, God says. I've simply got a list of things that I need you to know. Some things, some requirements that that person ought to fulfill. A list that they ought to go through. So God says, you can keep your list. It's fine. Can we merge the two lists? Can we bring those two lists together? And, of course, what God said is, and we all understand... And God's list has got to be the top of the list. But God says, look, look, once you get through the stuff, once you run through this and make sure that person you're dating and considering fulfills my list, then whoever's left, that's great. And if it's Matthew McConaughey, go for it. You know, if it's Britney Spears, hey, you know, do it. So he's he's fine as long as they make the list. Okay. And, And so we merge. Merge the list. This week, uh, the new sign is one way. And what God's going to come back and say is, look, if, if when you get ready to do a relationship, it is absolutely vital, vital, vital that the person you're dating is going the same way you're going. That this is no time for two-way traffic. And it is absolutely essential that you are both headed the same way with the same destination. Better be going one way in your life. And here's what God's going to come back and say. God's going to come back and say, 
that those of us who have figured out Jesus Christ, those of us who've made a decision and brought Christ into our lives, have no business dating someone who hasn't figured that out yet. And I know that bothers some of us, and I know some of us are... But before, before you shut your heart and shut your mind, can we just talk? Can, can we just spend some time in Scripture and figure out why God would say something like that? Let, let's pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, we, we come before you today, and the truth is, God, <laughs> we stink at this. We live in a time and a moment when we have no idea how to do marriage well. And so, God, we're willing to listen. We're willing to hear some stuff that probably up until now we've rejected and we've said was old-fashioned and we said, God, you don't understand. And suddenly we're ready to listen. And so, God, we're just going to say, go ahead and say what you need to say. Help our hearts to be soft. Help us to be willing to maybe reconsider. God, would you speak? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I I, I know when I say that. I know when I say, hey, God's going to ask us today, those of us who have figured out Jesus, to not date people who haven't figured out our Jesus yet. I I know someone's going to go, Lynn... Are you kidding me? I mean, you realize that disqualifies like two-thirds of the people out there. And then I've looked around the church. (laughs) So here's here's what we come back. I'll missionary date. See, what I'll do is I'll date some unsuspecting non-believer and then I'll spring Jesus on them. I'll trick them into being a believer. Let me see if I've got this tactic right. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We as believers are going to begin dating people who don't understand Jesus yet. And we're going to give them the impression that we're willing to have a long-term relationship with them, even though we know we can't. And then every time they start to get a little bit serious, we're going to take the carrot of our relationship and yank it away real quick. Right? So, so now we're dating and they start getting a little serious and we go, oh, you know, I mean, I can't because, you know, you don't go to church. Right? But if you came to church with me, then maybe we could keep dating. Right? And, and, and then they go to church with us a little bit, and then we go, well, you, you, you realize you haven't made a decision yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and if you would just bow your head and say the right words, then maybe we could keep dating. That's the tactic, right? Because the last time I checked, that's called blackmail, right? I know there are some of us in here who are pre-Jesus. I guarantee you, in this church, we've got a lot of people pre-Jesus. And, and you're going, hey, wait a minute, Lynn. Wow. See, this is exactly what I knew church was, that it's condemning and judgmental. And you, you just told a whole bunch of people not to date me just because I haven't figured out God yet. I was hoping this place was different. Sounds to me like God's pretty prejudice. And here's what you just need to hear. <laughs> nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. 
Because here, here's what you need to know. Every person, every person sitting in this room at some point in their life was pre-Jesus. God loves pre-Jesus people. And, and if you're pre-Jesus and you're trying to figure out God, you are in exactly the right place. Because we're going to give you time and we're going to give you the opportunity to figure this out. And we're going to tell you the truth. You're in exactly the right place. But I think if you'll listen today, if you'll process today, you'll go, oh, wow. Putting a believer and a person who hasn't believed yet together is not smart. So let's just talk. Grab your Bibles. Let's talk about why God would do this. And if you will grab your Bibles, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. See, here's, here's the deal. If, if you're here today and, and you're pre-Jesus, probably one of the reasons you're still struggling about coming to Jesus is because you know if you make that decision, it's going to change a whole bunch of things in your life. Matter of fact, you know some people who before Jesus, they were like normal. They, they were normal people. And then they asked Jesus in their heart and they got really weird all of a sudden. Right? And matter of fact, that's one of the reasons you're hesitating on maybe becoming one of them. Right? And, and, and the truth is, you're right. You're right. Matter of fact, the moment someone... Here's what Jesus is about. Goes to a church somewhere or maybe sits across a cup of coffee with another believer. And, and all of a sudden it makes sense. All of a sudden this idea of asking Jesus in their life and letting him be their savior and take away their sins. All this stuff that right now sounds really strange. When that clicks, when it makes sense and they open their heart and say, okay, God, I'm going to do that. When they allow Jesus to come into their life. Then... The reality is, that very decision, that very moment, changes everything. Matter of fact, the goal of being a Christian is to let Jesus rub off on every single part of your life so much that none of it is the same anymore. That you and I are completely transformed and different than the person we were pre-Jesus. Matter of fact, that's exactly what Scripture says is going to happen. So it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Here's what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... You know, I've made this decision because, guys, get this. It's not religion. This is, this is making contact with God. And, and if anyone makes that decision, lets God into their life, they're changed. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And all that Bible is saying, all scripture is saying is, you can't put something as powerful as Jesus in a life. And that life be like it was before. You can't. Everything changes. Now you take a life that's not ready. You take a life that's hearing the words 
and still trying to process, still trying to figure out what what does that mean? And I'm I like God and I'm okay with going. I, I just don't get it yet. Hearing the same messages, hearing the same words, maybe even attending the same church. I just don't get it yet. What's changed? And the answer is not much. See, you, you, you might see little bits of Jesus floating around in there. But you realize that's just religion, right? And then God says, okay, and, and so now you're going to take these two lives, these two drastically different lives, and mix them. I'm going to take someone who's heard the words of Jesus and either has said, no, it doesn't make sense for me, or I'm still trying to figure it out and I don't know what I really think about that, but hasn't been changed. And I'm going to mix that with a believer. Someone whose life is completely inundated, completely transformed, completely weird. Here's what God is saying. No matter how badly you want it to, no matter how much you shake, no matter how desperately you try, it doesn't work. They don't mix. And God says, you try to do a relationship like that, And you will set yourself up for pain and for hurt and for conflict. And you'll fight about things you don't even know why you're fighting because of this. Matter of fact, I think it's interesting that right after Jesus, right after the Bible tells us that, look, you can't have Jesus in your life and not be drastically different. It's the very next chapter that he then turns around and says, and because it's, whoa, 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 don't do this. You're too different to do this if you've discovered Jesus. So turn over one more chapter to chapter 6. Because this is where God's going to talk about it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Oh, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. We're still on track. Here's what it says. Do not, don't, 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 don't. Don't. And if you got a pen, you ought to just don't. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, people who are still figuring out God. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? And what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and of idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Now here's what he said. He said, look, look, look. You can't do this because you need to understand the power of yoking your life with someone else's life. Now, 
That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us because we're not agrarian. We, we don't live on farms, and so many of us aren't familiar with yokes. But you, you get what a yoke was, right? A yoke is where you would take two animals and hitch them together. And together, they were better than they were separately. You yoked them. And the idea was that you would take a matched set. You would take two of the same type of animal and you would put this wooden yoke across the shoulder of one and then it would come over and that same piece of wood would come across the shoulder of the second and then you would strap them into the yoke so they could head the same direction, one way. Same direction together. And the two working together was incredibly powerful. And that's what God comes back and says, look, look, look. You take two people who've agreed to go the same way in life and are going that direction. That's incredibly powerful. And you take two people who have figured Jesus out and strapped them together. That is an incredibly beautiful, powerful marriage. And God said, that's what I'm hoping for for you. But he says, look, look, look. There's not too many things as ugly as a mismatched set. You do that and you are setting yourself up for trouble. Yeah, kind of like that. And, 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 and here's, here's what God was... Look, look. You realize that a person who hasn't figured out God yet has an agenda. They've got things that they believe and things that are important. They haven't figured God out yet. It, it, And you remember, because so were you and I, right? Every one of us, before Jesus, we had a different set of values, a different set of priorities. So here you've got someone who hasn't quite figured this out yet, and they're going, hey, this is where we're going. And then you strap them to a believer who is saying, uh-huh. And God says, you realize there is nothing but pain there. There's nothing but fighting and just, let me see if I can help. How many of you guys have seen Plinko on The Price is Right? Okay, okay. So it's this big board thing and, and you get a chip. Bob Barker hands you a chip and, and you go to the top and then on this board are all these pegs down the board and at the bottom are slots and the slot on the bottom tells you what you win. And so you, you drop the peg and it goes, boom, boom, and lands in the bottom. We got it? Okay. So here's the deal. I have a relationship. I couple my life. I yoke myself with someone who doesn't understand my Jesus yet. And you realize every one of these pegs is a value. Every one of these pegs is something they perceive or believe to be true about life and the world and how it operates. That's what the pegs are. And so now you take a decision and you drop it down your values, your perceived truths of life to get the answers. So stop and think about a believer and a non-believer dropping the chip. On something just as simple as, what are we going to do on Sunday morning? And you drop the chip. Bunk, 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 bunk. Football. Football. Football is the answer. And suddenly the believer is going, church. And the person who hasn't figured out God yet is going, 
Church is not even one of the slots. What are you talking about? Church? Let, let's, let's, let, let's try it again. Bum, 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 bum. Sleep in! Sleep in! And the believer's going, no, 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 no. Church. And, and the person has a fear to God. He's going, no, no, no. It fell in a separate slot. It's a different slot. It can't be the same answer. And the believer's going, no, no, no. Church. And the person has a fear of God. He's going, are all your slots church? That's not bad enough. Let's do something as simple as money. And, and, and now we got a little bit left over at the end of the month. New stereo in the car. And the believer's going, tithe. And the person who hasn't figured out God yet is going, what? Give away money? Are we, I, I, oh, is your brain functioning? Let's try it again. Bum, 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 bum. Go on trip together. I mean, come on, we can agree on that. Can't we agree on trip together? Tithe. Matter of fact, the truth is, we shouldn't have waited till money was left over. We should have given the tithe first. What? And you realize the problem, right? The believer isn't even playing on this board. The believer has a totally different Plinko board. And all the answers are different. And God just said, look, look, look. You yoke yourself with someone who doesn't get it, doesn't understand. You realize what that's going to do. He asks a question in this passage. Let's go back to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Don't be yoked with people who don't understand Jesus yet. And then he asks, you ready for this? What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? I mean, I mean, what do you, someone who has figured out God, what do you have in common? What's the common ground that you've got with someone who hasn't figured out Jesus yet? It's a great question. Matter of fact, and just to make sure you and I understood the question, he asked it about five more times, different ways. Okay, you ready for this? For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? And what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement is there between the temple of God and of idols? It's a great question, isn't it? And the problem is this. That when you stop to answer the question, what, what, what does a believer have in common with a person who hasn't figured out Jesus yet? We both like root beer floats. And, you know what the answer at the end of the day is? Not enough. Not enough. I'm going to attempt to do this. Highly technical writing 
board thing. And you need to know that as I begin to do this, I'm the guy who thought electric typewriters were a big deal. Okay, So I'm, I'm going to do my best here. The technical team has done this to me today. When you, and I, when you and I start a relationship, there's typically two ingredients. One ingredient is physical. Okay, that, That's the part where you look across the room and you're going... <laughs> and then that's okay see that's okay because that's probably what got us talking in the first place it's what gave us enough courage to ask her out or to say yes to him it's okay but hopefully as that relationship progressed that it got to be something more substantial than just that and we involved the social part that we began to go, man, I, I just like being with them and we enjoy the same things and we, we think like, matter of fact, I, I finish her sentences or he finishes mine or you know, he completes me. You know, that stuff, that <laughs> ooey gooey stuff. And, and God would say, Hey, that's, that's totally cool. And that's great stuff. Here's, here's the answer. It's just not enough. It's not. And you realize in here, you, you can fall in love. If you're here today and you're a believer, you're someone who's discovered Jesus and you've made that decision, you can fall in love with someone who doesn't know Jesus. Because you can find a whole bunch of this stuff that you like together. You can. It's just not enough. How many of you remember the 80s? How how many of you weren't born in the 80s? Oh, that's... How how many of you would say, I was doing so many drugs, I don't remember the 80s? Okay, for the rest of us, what what did we wear in the 80s? What did we wear? Spandex! You know what? For a minute, they said this one of the earlier. I said, we didn't wear, and then I remembered. Remember the, like, the workout spandex stuff we were wearing? And then you had the little cuffy things here. And you, remember that? And then, guys, guys, you read, this is so human. Remember, we all had shorts about this high. Remember that, guys? We were walking around. You know, we thought we were so cool. Dude, was that bad? What else? What else were we wearing in the 80s? Huh? Turtlenecks. That was the 40s, but okay. What is it? No, I think. Okay. Angel flight. That was very early 80s. I had these bell bottoms. I was John Travolta. What else? Leg warmers. Remember that, ladies? The leg warmers up to here, and they were usually neon. Remember that? What were our favorite groups, music groups in the 80s? Journey. What else? Huh? Flock of seagulls. Yeah. Devo. Remember Devo? Okay. So here's the problem. You realize we change. And I'm hoping that most of us are not spandex legging Devo listeners anymore. Groupie things, you know. No, no. Because we change. And things get different. And so here's, here's the problem. See, 
we, we have this in common, and we, we both loved leg warmers and spandexy stuff and short shorts on guys, and we thought it was all, but we change. And so now all of a sudden, the things that we used to hold together, the things we used to have that we liked are eroding away, and suddenly there's cracks, and we used to like to go to Italian food, and now it gives her gas, and it's... <laughs> And, and so God just comes back to him and says, look, 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 look. What, what does a person who doesn't know Jesus and a person who does know Jesus have in common? And, and we can answer. We go, well, it's spaghetti and it's Devo and it's leg warmer. And God would just say, it's not enough. It's not enough. And it's why relationships get to that point, and we've all seen it happen, where the last vestige of any commonality that relationship has is raising the kids. And now the kids are grown, and they move out, and two adults are looking across the table at each other going, I don't even know you, and I'm pretty darn sure I don't like you. And God just simply says, it's not enough. Second thing, what does a believer have in common with someone who doesn't know God yet? And the answer is, you ready? Not God. Not God. Which means that the moment a believer enters a relationship with someone who hasn't discovered God yet, so here we've got our Christian guy here. Four years of seminary to be able to do that. And and she's she's not yet. See, she, she's still trying to figure it out, hasn't quite discovered, hasn't quite put the pieces together. And God says, what, what do you guys got in common? And they go, oh, man, we got the physical. I mean, woo, <laughs> And, uh, man, we both loving them leg warmers and Devo. But you know the thing we don't have in common? Did I ever spell that right? No. Did I spell it right now? Four years of seminary for that. Any, anybody believe that I was the spelling champion? No. Okay. And God would come back and say, the problem is, there's what you don't have. Because it's absolutely impossible for her to bring that. And so the truth is, every believer who begins that relationship has to leave him out. Which means I'm choosing my first love. And God would say, that's just a huge mistake. What do I have in common? Not enough. And not God. I want to talk just for a second. For, I guarantee there's people in here who are pre-Jesus. 
You're trying to figure God out. I just want to talk to you for a second and say, look, if I can't convince believers that they shouldn't be dating you, can I convince you not to date them? Because here, here's the deal. You yoke yourself up as a person who hasn't figured out God yet with someone who has. Can I tell you that that's going to be painful for you too? Here's what's going to happen. You're going to start dating. You're going to fall in love. You're going to get married. But here's the, here's the thing. Because that believer has left God out of their life, or at least put God at second best and has not listened to what God already told, guess what God's going to do? God is going to spank the behoovers out of them. And and, and if you're attached to them, if you're in a relationship with them, guess what's going to happen to you? And all of a sudden you're going to go, I don't understand why the car breaks down. I don't get it. Why do we have 33 cavities? What is that? My teeth have always been good. And, and the tree, you're just in the way of a spanking. And then if that's not enough, chances are somewhere that Christian's going to repent. Somewhere that Christian's going to go, oh, I shouldn't have done this. I know what I need to do. I need to get my heart right with God. And then I need to make my mate a Christian. And so all of a sudden... They're going to start pouring a whole bunch of Jesus down your throat. Hoping that it fixes everything. And they're going to be begging you to go to church. and Why don't you pray this and go to the Bible study and Pastor Lynn can counsel you. And you're going to hate every minute of it. And, and can I just say to you, if you're here pre-Jesus... And some backslidden, disobedient Christian comes and asks you on a date. You just simply go, cross of Jesus, back off, buddy! Get away! I ain't going there. I move my chair over because the next thing I'm going to say is not in the Bible. I think the Bible supports it, but it's not in the Bible. I believe that maturity, equally yoked maturity, may be almost as important as equally yoked believers. And I'm going to tell you that especially if I was sitting in this room today and I was a woman, I was a female and still had a choice about who I was going to marry, I would be desperately, desperately, desperately worried about maturity in the guy I was going to marry. And I would say to every baby Christian who still hasn't gotten their life together and is still living one foot in the world and one foot for Jesus and still struggles with whether or not they like the Bible or not, I'd say to them, go away. Figure out Jesus. And then we'll date. Because you don't do that, and you marry some guy who's way behind you spiritually, you realize what you do in that moment, right? You just made him the head of your household. And that means every major decision you have, and every time you disagree with him, and every time the answer looks obvious to you, and he completely disagrees, and is going to go that way, you, you realize who has the final vote. 
And you just gave it to him. And you realize when you go to Pastor Lynn and you complain and you say, but Lynn, and he's wrong. I'm going to go, you're right, he's wrong. But guess what scripture says you have to do? And I'm going to tell you that if I was a gal in this room today, I wouldn't date any person, any guy who I did not absolutely admire and trust their walk with Jesus Christ. And I'd say, look, buddy, if you're not ahead of me, you ain't dating me. That was Pastor Lynn. Okay. Some of us, some of us in here have already gone through the stop sign and you've already attached your life to someone who doesn't know your Jesus yet. And can I just say something to you? Scripture is so clear. 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Scripture says, look, 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 look. Now that you've made that decision, now that you've made that promise together, you realize you are the missionary now. You realize you're obligated to that relationship. You're supposed to be the best wife, the best husband, that person who doesn't know Jesus could imagine. That's the commitment. And a matter of fact, Scripture is going to go even further and say to you, look, 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 you're going to be tempted to cram Jesus down their throat because you're, you know deep down in your heart, if they would just figure out God, half your problems would go away. And guess what Scripture is going to say about that? Shut up. Shut up. Matter of fact, First Peter chapter 3 says, hey, 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 you keep pushing Jesus, they're never going to see him. They're going to be so busy fighting you and being angry with you that they're never going to hear the voice of God. And so First Peter 3 says, instead, 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 live loud. Live loud. Let your walk with God be so dynamic. Let your trust and faith in Jesus be so loud that they can't miss the message. And in those few moments when you have to say something, whisper. Because your whisper is going to sound like a yell to them. Whisper what you have to say about Jesus. And then trust your God to take that. And touch a heart. Heard a story of a guy telling about coming to Jesus after being married to a woman who knew God and he didn't. And he said this. He said, I used to make fun of my wife. I used to think she was the dumbest lady on earth. I had all my stuff figured out. I had all my evolution answers. I had all my science answers. I had. And then she had Jesus. And he said, I used to tease her when she went to church and I'd tease her when she came home. And then she says, one day, one day I'm sitting alone, quiet, and this question comes to my heart. If I'm so right and she's so wrong, then how come I'm so empty and she's so full? See, he heard the voice of his wife, not through what she said, but through how she lived. And scripture is going to say, live loud, because here's the deal. You realize that person that you're living with who doesn't know Jesus didn't sign off for this. Because either when you were dating them, you weren't living the way you were supposed to live, even though you were a Christian, and they thought they were marrying a heathen. 
stayed here. They said, this is, I'm marrying a heathen. Or you came to Jesus after you got married. Which means you're different now and your mate had no idea this was going to happen. And it's why, it's why, it's why those of us who've discovered Christ can't cram this down the throat of someone who hasn't figured it out yet. And instead we have to live loud and say softly and let God do the rest. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we just come before you for this moment. We just... Say, God, for those of us that are here today and still have the decision to make, I'm just going to ask that you would so write this upon our hearts that we would just say, no, 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 from this day forward, I will not date anybody who does not know my Jesus. I don't have enough in common. I don't have God in common. I understand the power of the yoke. And God, for those of us that find ourselves today sitting here and in a vital relationship with someone who hasn't figured you out yet, God, God, may we be careful not to take what is so dear to us and choke it down somebody else's life, but instead to say, I'm simply going to live for my Jesus with so much passion, so much clarity that they'll see him. And in those moments, when the moment is right and when hearts are tender, I will say that thing, that whisper about God, knowing that it will ring in their ears like a yell. And I'll be careful not to make them feel like I'm imposing a God they don't understand in their life. God, I pray for every person in this room who's pre-Jesus. Oh, that they would figure out that this is the greatest thing in the world to know you and to love you and discover you. So God, we come to this moment having heard what we didn't want to hear, but knowing deep down in our souls, you're right. In Jesus' name, amen. I know some of us are trying to go, okay, now what? Some of us need to leave this place and have some talks. See, the truth is, not only does this principle apply to dating, but it applies to any significant friendship that I've got. And some of us need to say, you know what, I've, I've got deep, deep abiding friendships with people who just don't understand my love for God and what I'm about. I may need to do some adjusting. There's some of us that are going to leave here today and been pushing Jesus really hard on a spouse that doesn't understand God. And the truth is, some of us may even need to apologize and say, look, look, you didn't sign on for this. You didn't know this is what you were getting. And I want you more than anything in my heart for you to know my Jesus. But I won't twist your arm to get you there. I'll live my life. I'll be the best mate you ever imagined. Say a little bit when it's appropriate to say a little bit. And then I'm going to pray for you like crazy that you would know what I've already figured out in my life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. I, I simply pray for every person in this room who still has this decision to make that God, they would leave here today resolved. 
to say to anybody who would want to date them and doesn't know their Jesus. I can't. I can't. We don't have enough in common. God, I would pray for those of us who already found ourselves through the stop sign. God, would you give us the grace to be graceful, to be kind and compassionate to someone who really probably never expected to be married to a believer and to have us be serious about you. So God, let us live our life out loud. Let us be absolutely sold out to you with all of our hearts. But let us be soft with our words. Let us trust the Holy Spirit to take what we say and let it be enough. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, some of you are going to want to talk. I'll spend time up here with you. God bless you for being in this place.